0: Well, it's good to have Craig and Shelly and the family um, back with us, and uh, I encourage you to uh, reach out to them and touch base with them. They they are uh, here with us for a while, and we should take advantage of that. We're going to jump right into our uh, notes this morning, and our first point this morning is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The reason that we're jumping right into our notes this morning is I want to give you a little history uh, regarding that uh, title. Uh, those of you who have been at our church for a while may remember back in the beginning, January of 2019, Pastor Tim was doing a series on what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And he spent two or three weeks on, on this passage of Scripture that I'm going to be talking about this morning, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Uh, and and, and he, as he said, it was exploring what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And it was a great series, and it impacted me greatly. And just meditating in the, in the weeks following on that phrase, Christ in you, the hope of glory, was something really important in my life. If that's not a message that you, uh, you remember or a, a message that you... Uh, uh, we're here for. In in the notes, there's the the, uh, link. You can just type that in or go to our website and search for it. If you'd like to listen to that series, I'd really encourage you to do that. Tim helped me and helped us to see the great blessings that we have from being a disciple in Christ. When Christ is in us, the difference that that makes, that we have the hope of glory in you and how we can be transformed by the gospel in our lives. And I was so thankful for that. And And he helped us to make some very practical applications and and one of the things that he challenged us with is is that he said regarding our children he said we sometimes think if we teach the right truths they'll never fall away but kids must see that we're in love with Jesus if we're going to if they're going to make their faith their own and that was something that resonated well with me and it, it began to challenge me like okay how can i make sure that my children and other people that are involved in my life are actually seeing that so that it's not just words that, that Tim shares, but, but how I could be impacted by that and, and try to make a difference in my life so that people could see Christ in me, the hope of glory. And so this message that we're going to be uh, listening to and sharing together today is really an outpouring of that. And I want to explore exactly how they're supposed to see that. What does it mean when I am a disciple of Christ to disciple others and to be involved in discipleship? And and what exactly does that look like? And so this is kind of the nitty-gritty of discipleship that's found in that passage of Scripture. In fact, I'm really hoping that as we're looking at Colossians chapter 1, that we're going to see some parallels between that passage of Scripture and the Great Commission. Where, Where God tells us, where Jesus tells us, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That great commission is is like the the marching orders for so many of us as Christians. And I want us to see that it's not just a one-time bit. There's so much parallel in the verses that we're going to look at even here this morning. You see, because God is calling all people into a relationship with him. And then, once we know the hope of glory in us... Our lives must be different because of what Christ has done, because he has done everything necessary to accomplish our salvation by sending to Christ to die on the cross for my sins and for yours. So God is calling us into that kind of of relationship. And so we're going to read together from, from our passage in Colossians chapter 1. And really, I'm mostly going to be focusing on verses 28 and 29, but we're going to start uh, in verse 24 just to help us get a little bit of that context. And as I read, I just want you to, even in your own mind, be, be hearing some of the language of the Great Commission that I just quoted for us. Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29, where it says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. You see, I want us to understand this morning, because we have the hope of glory, God has also given us responsibilities. Because we have the hope of glory, God has also given us responsibilities. In light of all that Christ has done for us, We are called to get involved with his mission. You see, God did not just send Christ so I could live a a bountiful and plentiful and abundant life on my own. He's given me the great blessings in my life so that I could pour those blessings out into the world around us. Paul says in verse 25 that this was a stewardship given to him. A stewardship meaning meaning that that it's not his possession, but it's something that he was given so that he could share that with others. And pour that out into the world around him. Specifically the Gentiles Paul is talking about. And he's talking at this time to the church here. And and we want to understand that that it is such a great privilege that Paul even says, you know what, I'm even willing to suffer for for what Christ has done for me. I'm even willing to endure all these hardships and sufferings because it is such a great privilege. Privilege. You see, Paul understood for the mysteries of the glorious gospel to be proclaimed, God's people would have to do hard things. For, for the mystery of the gospel to be proclaimed into this dark world that we live in, God's people are going to have to be willing to do difficult things. Because we have Christ in us, the hope of glory, we're not called to a simple, easy task. We're called to a very difficult task. We're called to make Disciples. So if, in fact, we have the hope that can only be found in Christ, then our hope must be infectious. It must be the thing that we want to transmit to others. Genuine hope should not be kept to ourselves. And so that is our second point here this morning, the point where we'll spend most of our time this morning. Genuine hope in Christ must be infectious hope. Now, that word infectious and infection, I mean, that's something that we probably have all heard a lot about in the last several months. And I've read some things on the Internet, so that practically makes me an expert on infectious diseases. I really don't know that much. But what I know is an infection is something that's passed from person to person, right? And our hope is supposed to be exactly that. We are supposed to pass our hope from person to person. You see, there are some things that God wants in our lives that we're purposefully supposed to spread to others. And some things that we're not. But we're going to focus on what God wants us to do to spread our hope to others around us. To be purposeful about making sure that the gospel hope that we have goes from person to person to person. And eventually, so that people from every tribe, language, tongue, and nation would come to know Christ. Because that's the only hope that has eternal life in it. So we're going to briefly look at this passage of Scripture, these two verses which give us five characteristics of someone who knows the hope of glory because Christ is in them. And These are the five discipleship principles that can be applied to my life and to yours because they're supposed to exemplify what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Now, these are not the only five characteristics of of discipleship. This is not an exhaustive list. In fact, I would even contend that maybe these are not even the most important discipleship characteristics. But I find it amazing that in these two verses, we have five things that we can apply to our lives living as disciples of Christ. In fact, there are six, but I didn't think I had time for six, so I combined two of them. So... So hold your hold your horses. We're going to push through these verses and see what God has for us, for you and I, when we know the hope of Christ, how that can be applied into our lives each and every day. And the first of those five character qualities is this: infectious hope must be proclaimed. Look with me at verse 28 where it says, "Him we proclaim." Full stop. If you know Jesus, the number one thing you and I must be concerned about is proclaiming him to the dying, lost, hurting world around us. Him, not us. Not First Baptist Church. Not some program that we love and maybe participate in. He must be the thing that we proclaim fully to others. We proclaim the hope that we have found in Jesus Christ because He is the only way to eternal life, forgiveness, and a restored relationship with God the Father. We have hope because of what Christ has done for us on the cross of Calvary. And our hope must be contagious. Our hope must be infectious. It's not just something, a blessing that we hold in for ourselves. We must proclaim him to the world around us. Look at verse twenty-seven, where, where Paul said, To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, we proclaim him because God proclaimed him. You see, God made it known first. The gospel is not some human invention. The gospel is not something that some man created at some point in time in history. The gospel is God's plan for salvation from before the foundations of the earth. And we get the joy and the privilege of proclaiming that gospel to others. In fact, God was the first one to make it known, and so must we. This isn't optional. This isn't something you and I can choose to be involved with or not if we call ourselves a disciple of Christ. We are called to proclaim him in our lives. You see, so God made it known, and then Paul is now making it known to the Colossians and to us. In fact, look very carefully. Paul does a little twist with his words there, demonstrating to us that it's now our turn to continue to make it known. Notice how Paul says, first he says, God made it known, and then he's sharing his responsibility, but then he says, him we proclaim. He's not saying him God proclaimed. He's not saying him I proclaim. He's saying him we proclaim. We the church are now the vehicle and carrier for the good news of hope that this dying and lost world needs to hear. That's God's plan for the world. God's plan to extend his hope to the the hearts and lives of people is his children, who already know this hope, proclaiming it to others who don't. That's what we're called to do. So, So what does that look like? Well, very quickly, I want us to see that we proclaim the good news of the gospel both formally and informally. We proclaim the good news of the gospel formally and informally. We're just going to follow the example of Christ in our lives. I really encourage us to do that. Follow the example of Jesus during his ministry. During his three years of ministry, he wandered around the hillsides. He went to different places, and crowds would gather, much like the crowd that we have gathered here. And any time a crowd would gather, Jesus would say, you know what, I need to tell them about God. I need to tell them about the Father's plan. I need to tell them about the hope that they can have in God. You see, uh, one great example of that is in Mark chapter 10, in verse 1, where it says, And he, Jesus, left there. He was in one place, and he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. Right? As was his custom, when crowds gathered, he would teach them. He would proclaim the good news to the lost and dying world. And so in his day, a lot of people just thought he was some itinerant preacher. We know that he was much more. But he was never less than a teacher proclaiming the good news of the gospel. And see the parallel with the Great Commission? As Jesus was going, he was was proclaiming the good news everywhere that he went. Go and make disciples. You see, this is part of how discipleship works in the church. Organized gatherings like this or... Sunday school classes, or a one, or Bible Institute classes, or membership meetings, and, and so on and so forth. Those are the tools that we use. But the important part is the proclamation of Him who can save from our sins. We might have different vehicles, we might have different tools and, and ways to accomplish that in the church, but it's all about proclaiming Jesus to the world that needs to hear it. And Jesus, the master teacher and proclaimer, also didn't just spend all of his time proclaiming to these large groups of people. He also would travel around to the hillside proclaiming to this unqualified group of misfits that followed him around everywhere. His disciples. Matthew 20 is a great example of Jesus teaching the disciples in in a way that was also proclaiming the good news. Matthew 20, verses 17 through 29 We're not going to read all of it, but don't worry. It says, and as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Notice it says he took the 12 disciples aside and on the way, as they were going about living their daily life, moving from place to place, he said, you know what, I want to take this quiet moment to really teach you what the gospel really is going to be. I'm going to be condemned to death. I'm going to die, but don't worry, I'm going to be raised again. And the, gospel, or, or the disciples went, I don't get it. And that's okay. But what Jesus was doing is he's teaching these large groups of crowds and he's pulling his disciples aside and in small groups, he's teaching both formally and informally of what it means to know the peace of God, to have the hope of God. This is Great Commission work, the way we are supposed to do it. We're supposed to sometimes go to the people, and sometimes we're supposed to share with the people that we're just living life every day with. We're supposed to do both. And we know that this building, we talk about these things all the time, this building is not the church, God's people are. So we, the church, are proclaiming the truth day to day day in informal gatherings wherever you may be in the world. Whether you're having families over for dinner, moms walking together, kids getting together to play, Meeting someone for coffee or, or lunch, helping somebody fix their car or their house or working on some project, crying together over the death of a loved one, meeting together to pray at the start of the week, having lunch to, together and doing a small Bible study during your lunch hour with someone. Those are the informal ways that you and I can can make an impact for the cause of Christ and do great commission work and, and to do what it means to be a, a disciple who is sharing with others the hope of Christ that we have. When the hope of glory is in us, we proclaim the truth, both formally and informally. It's what we're called to do. But we also proclaim the good news of the gospel to the lost and to the saved. You see, I think too often, it's really easy for us to, when we think of proclaiming the truth, to only think of proclaiming to those who have never heard of it before. To proclaim the good news to those who need to get saved. But notice, Paul was sharing this truth right now with the Colossian church. At the beginning of the letter, he calls them saints and fellow brothers. These weren't unsaved, unregenerate people. These were brothers and sisters in Christ who needed to be encouraged because the hope of Christ is in them. They, they needed to be reminded what it means to know the hope of Christ that is in you and this is how it's supposed to play out in your life. And we all need that. I need that. We need to be reminded about the hope that God has given us and how important it is in our lives. That was the message that that Pastor Tim shared a couple years ago. And, and, And now, what does that look like? How does it play out in our life? That's what I'm hoping that we are reminded about this morning. But we all need to be reminded of these things. And, and, and so we're going to see these things play out. We're going to see how our, our, our text continues to teach these things. But the proclamation of Christ is the number one foundation principle of discipleship. Because without Jesus, if we're proclaiming any message other than Christ crucified, we are not doing the gospel justice. So we need to remind our, ourselves that, that this is what we are called to do. And when times are tough, and when the world seems like it's falling around, uh, crashing down around us, we need to be reminding one another, and we need to be reminding the unsaved world that Christ in you is the hope of glory. So, so that's the foundation. But the second principle is kind of an outpouring of that. Infectious hope must be taught and warnings given. Our text goes on to say, For him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. I want to say this at the onset of this point. While while discipleship requires more than just teaching people and giving them knowledge, it never requires less than teaching. We must share the good news to a lost and dying world. And we sometimes have to teach them what it means then for the plan of God to be playing out in their lives. You, you see, we're called to live our faith in such a way that people might see our good deeds and glorify our God in heaven, but we also have to tell them the good news. We have to teach them. We have to help them understand their brokenness and their need for Christ and what Christ has done on the cross for us. And, and all of that is an important part of what we're doing. So we're teaching and warning everyone with all wisdom. So, so notice there that, that that also has this somewhat negative connotations, that, that we're supposed to somehow warn people and, and, and to tell them th- that they might be missing something. That's something that we don't really like to do sometimes in our world. It, it, it sometimes can look a little confrontational to give warnings to somebody that they could be missing out on the truth that God would want them to know. But I want us to think about how it is the most loving, kind thing that we could possibly do as those who have hope, to boldly share that hope with others who don't know it. Think with me about Proverbs 27, verse 6, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. I I talk about this verse a lot because it, it reminds me that, you know what, a true friend is willing to say the hard things to you. And an enemy is going to multiply kisses. And I say that I like the the NIV uh, translation of this, but really what I like is the CNAP, Chad's New American paraphrase, even more. And, And that says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy blows smoke up your skirt. Right? They'll, they'll multiply you with kisses and Brown knows you. Oh, you are the best, Chad. Oh, man, Jesus must love you so much. Look at all those great things that you are doing for him. Mwah, mwah, mwah. I'm multiplying kisses as I tell you how wonderful you are. You know, that's great. I, I like hearing how wonderful I am. But a true friend is going to be somebody who's willing to wound me if I need to be wounded. A true friend is going to be somebody who says, yeah, you know, Chad, this part of your life right there that's not really living out the hope of, the, of the hope of Christ that's in you. That's not evidence of the faith that you say you have. That's something that you need to work on, brother. And I, I, a wound from a friend can be trusted, and it's just enemies who are willing to come alongside and tell us only the things that we think we need to hear or the things that we want to hear. But to do that, you can't miss that. That when you're giving warnings and teaching, you're, you're supposed to do it with all Wisdom. You see, we're talking about God's wisdom, not my wisdom, and not your wisdom. When we're discipling somebody, we're not trying to get them to think like we think, unless we're thinking. Like God thinks. What we're really trying to do is help those people that we're discipling to think how God thinks. What does his word tell me? How can I go to this book, the inerrant word of God, and and apply these truths into my life? That's what discipling looks like. I'm trying to help them to see uh, how God thinks and, and how God wants me to act because of what God has made clear to us. You see, If I spend all of my time in a discipleship relationship trying to convince someone that the University of Michigan is the greatest college in all of the world, while that might be true, that's not discipleship. That's not discipling in the sense that Paul's talking about here. We we disciple a person to the truth that saves them. The glorious mystery of the gospel. And if I'm spending all my time in a discipleship relationship trying to share my wisdom with somebody, I'm not discipling them at all. In fact, that would be self-seeking and self-motivated, and that's not what Paul's calling us to do. Infectious hope means that the hope that is within us that only comes from Christ is what pours out from me into the lost and dying world. And we're warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Because because God chose to make it known. He revealed it to us. My life has been changed. And now I'm pouring that hope of glory out to you as well. So make sure that when when you're thinking about a discipleship relationship, you're not trying to convince someone to think like you think. You're trying to convince them to think like God thinks. And hopefully, the way you're thinking is the way God's thinking. But it isn't always that way. So our third principle this morning now is, is infectious hope must be pursuing maturity. We should be trying to help someone that we are in a discipleship relationship with mature in Christ. We want them to be a mature believer in the Lord Jesus. The second half of verse 28 reads, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That we may present everyone. Not just the ones that I like. Everyone. Right? We all have people that we're closer to, others that we're not as close to, but our goal as the body of Christ in unity should be presenting everyone to maturity in in Christ, helping everyone grow in their knowledge and love and passion for pursuing Jesus in their life. You see, some have made this analogy to try to describe the kingdom of God. They say, evangelism is like growing God's kingdom far and wide. And discipleship is growing people deep in their knowledge and love for Jesus. And, and, and while I think that that is a, a, a fairly helpful analogy to help us to understand those two things, I also want us to understand that I don't believe God wants us to be in an either-or relationship with those things. It's kind of like evangelism in and missions, and, and how evangelism is you and I reaching out to our friends, neighbors, and loved ones that God has placed us in. In in missions, it's going cross culturally where people have never heard and have no opportunity, other than if someone purposely is going to them. If just as evangelism and missions go together, so do evangelism and discipleship. We should be doing both at all times, so that God's kingdom grows deep and wide at the same time. It's not an either or relationship. And and I think that that's what God is really wanting us to understand, that we're calling people, we're proclaiming him, we're teaching others, and we're helping them to grow in maturity in Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, I think, is a great parallel to help us understand this meaning in Scripture. Ephesians 4 verses 11-13 says this, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, what should they be doing, you might ask? Well, He gave them, in verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Equip the saints for the work of ministry. Build up the body. Strengthen them until we all, again, attain the unity of the faith, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's great commission work. Teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. Teach them to understand what God wants for us. Cause them to mature in Christ by you imparting knowledge to them from God's holy word that they can then apply to their lives. That's what we're called to do and to help people be maturing in their relationship with Jesus. You see, you see God is not honored when, when people pray a prayer and claim Christ as their Savior and, and it never goes any deeper than that in fact i would wonder whether those people are even truly born again and saved but but god is honored when when people come to know christ as their savior and their whole life is changed and and while they're not perfect in, 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 in the world sense, and they still have their fallen sinful human nature that they're struggling with, they're growing and they're maturing in their relationship with Christ. And the body of Christ is supposed to come alongside them and, and help them to grow and mature. And, and, and true friends are supposed to tell them the things that, that they need to be warned about and how they can grow even more closely. That's what the body of Christ is called to do. And you and I have to be doing that and helping to mature people in Christ. Our goal should not simply be to see people get saved. It should be for them to know Christ in you, the hope of glory, and what that really means, what, how that is life-changing, transformational good news. So we must teach others that that is what it means to be a disciple of Christ, to be, to be completely transformed. But, To do that, to to try to accomplish ministry like that, it is not going to be easy. And so our our next character quality that we need to understand as a disciple of Christ is that infectious hope must be fought for. Verse 29 tells us, For this I toil, struggling. I don't know about you, but toil and struggle are, are not words I really like applied to my life. I like easy, I like low-key. Uh, I, like, I like things that are not over-challenging or over-burdensome. Um, that, I, 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 I confess to you that sometimes those are the things that I think of. But a disciple of Christ should be willing to toil and struggle because the cause of the hope of Christ is worth it. The gospel message is worth it. And so you and I should be willing to toil and struggle. And the reality is, is that if we want to be involved in true gospel ministry, because we live in a fallen, broken, sinful world, we shouldn't expect that ministry to be easy. There is an adversary. God has an adversary who wants nothing to do with the gospel being spread, who wants to put a halt to the growth of the kingdom, who wants to thwart every effort that God could make. That is Satan, and he is our enemy as well. But we have the promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against God's church and his gospel. We know those things. But that doesn't mean that we should expect things to be easy. But sometimes ministry is so much harder than we anticipate. And there's a lot of different things that make that hard. Sometimes the the difficulty of ministry comes from somebody that you love or care for that you're dealing with, whether it's a a neighbor, a coworker, a, 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 a one of your own children, or a child that you're trying to minister to, and their heart is just so hard. You, you can see they're hurting, and and you, you you share the good news with them, but they're just hardened, and they they want nothing to do with that. Man, that that makes ministry a toil. It makes it difficult, but we should. We should labor and struggle for that kind of ministry. And sometimes, especially in cross-cultural miss- missions, we'll see generational sins where, where these tribes have been so long without knowledge of the gospel message that, that there's all these generational sins and they've been worshiping spirits and, and animistic beliefs and it's all mishmashed together and, and maybe they got just enough of Jesus in there to make it confusing to them. Man, that is, that is a difficult task. And I'm so thankful for our missionaries that go and and perform those tasks of faithfully teaching and discipling and proclaiming him in those kinds of cultures and situations. But when we come across those kinds of situations, we have to understand we toil and struggle for the gospel because it is worth it. It is worth it. And, and I, I was tempted to spend a lot of time focusing on so many verses which challenge us at about how hard this could be, but I, we're going to quickly look at just three of them to illustrate this point for us. And we're going to start with 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, a passage of Scripture that many of us are familiar with. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Your adversary, the devil. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Notice, Peter says, very similar, that we have to take a stand. But what do we stand on? We stand on our faith. We stand on the glorious hope of the gospel. We, we stand on the glorious hope that, that Christ is in us, the hope of glory. I don't take a stand on what Chad thinks. I stand firm in my faith. I stand firm in God's wisdom. Notice those words, in light of the gospel, notice that those verses, uh, they're, they're talking about the gospel going out into the world, but that there's going to be outside pressures coming in around us, like, like pressures from Satan and the demonic forces that don't want God's kingdom to be expanded. So we should expect outside forces from this dark world to oppose and to oppress the light of the gospel. But it doesn't just stop with outside pressure and forces from our adversary, the devil. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, where it says, take care, brothers, lest there be, any, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You see, again, not only are we in a fallen, broken, sinful world, but I live in a fallen, broken, sinful body. Yes, my, my spirit has been redeemed, and I have the power of the Holy Spirit living in me, giving me the power to have victory over sin, but that's not a guarantee that I will not allow my heart to be deceived. It's so easy for our hearts to be deceived. And, and he's warning the brothers, the author's warning the brothers here, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leaving, leading you to fall away from the living God. Now, now I, am, I am firmly convinced that scriptures teach that when I know Christ as my Savior, I cannot lose my salvation. But I can tell you that I have seen so many times when even in my own life, if there's sin that I'm involved with, my, my testimony for Christ is completely diminished. I can't be salt and light to the world around me when, when I'm not living the way God would want me in my own life. And, and I think that's what, Paul, what the author of Hebrews is, is saying here, is, is that we've got to be careful that we don't allow doubt and fear to creep into our hearts and to, to pull us away from doing the things that we are supposed to do. But praise the Lord for good friends who are going to exhort you especially as it's still called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Man, sin, the devil, even in our own lives, we can allow the devil to have a foothold and and allow the deceitfulness and the destructive power of sin to impact us. And so it's not just the outside pressures of Satan and our adversary and the demons that, that are opposed to God's kingdom, but it's our own broken, fallen sinfulness that we have to fight against every day. So we have to grind. We have to do the hard work to fight the good fight of our faith. You see, because if we're not toiling, if we're not struggling, it's way too easy for us to be led astray. Way Way too easy for us to lose sight of the glorious hope of the gospel. Just one more verse regarding that. Jude chapter, or Jude verse 3 says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Jude says, man, I wanted to talk to you about this glorious hope that we have in the gospel but there's something going on with you, there's false teachers coming into your midst that you're buying into, you're listening to, who's it, who are telling you the things that your itching ears want to hear. You, I found it necessary to confront you, to tell you, contend for the faith. Toil, struggle for the faith because it is worth it. Take a stand because the world around us needs to hear the message of salvation. So, so don't give in to outside pressures, don't give in to internal sin struggles. Don't 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 even give in to pressures of false teachers within maybe the church itself. We have to not lose sight of our job as disciples of Christ to proclaim him. So now please don't think that I'm trying to be a killjoy here that discipleship is some difficult arduous task. Man, true discipleship is joyful. It, it is fun but discipleship isn't simply just hanging out with someone and and having meals together discipleship is so much more than that so we must do the hard work involved with discipleship to be involved in the toil in the struggle get messy with people let them be involved in your messy lives and get involved in their messy lives as well because discipleship is hard work but it is what god has called us to And because we know that discipleship is hard work, the last character quality is perhaps just as important as the foundational one of Christ himself. And it is this. Infectious hope must be dependent upon Christ's power. Infectious hope must be dependent upon Christ's power. Verse 29 says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. That's great commission right there. Lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. You are not on your own. You will constantly have my Holy Spirit leading you, guiding you, directing you, convicting you, challenging you, pressing you on deeper into your relationship with God so that you can be empowered to do the work that I have given you. You see, the wisdom of Chad has very little hope of of helping you at all in this world. But as our text says, when we proclaim, when we teach, when we warn, when we help mature, when we toil and struggle struggle with all Jesus' energy that he so powerfully provides that's working within me, well, that's a whole different story. That's a whole different ball game When we do it in the strength that God provides, because it's not dependent upon our power, but Jesus's. You see, in a few months, we're uh, I say a few months, but it could be a few years, depending on how quickly Tim works through the book of John. We're, we're going to look at a verse that maybe is, is, is the most beautiful synopsis of the, the challenge of working and ministering in this power of the Holy Spirit of any verse in all of Scripture. In John chapter 15, verse 5, it says this. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him... He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Man, it is not Chad's wisdom that the world needs to hear. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the message that the world needs to hear. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. when you know Jesus when you allow the power of the holy spirit to be at work in you and through you when when the holy spirit is is constantly in, uh, residing in you and giving you the strength and you are obediently doing that which god has called to you that is a beautiful powerful thing and that is god's plan for the world to hear the good news that is why christ in you the hope of glory is so powerful because it is the message that 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 Jesus can, can transform my life and your life and, and allow us to be involved in the transformation of others around us. The power to live an effective life of discipleship, the glorious hope that we have in Christ, it's all about Jesus. It starts with him and it's powered by him. Those are the bookends to what we are to do and what we're called to do in our work of discipleship. And oh, I hope that you know that power this morning if you don't really know what it means to have Christ in you, the hope of glory, we would love to talk to you about that. I would love to share with you how Jesus can truly bring you hope that this world cannot hold a candle to. He can give me the hope for today, as Craig prayed, and for eternal life. And it's only found in a relationship with Christ. And and, and so I hope that you know that kind of hope. For those of us who do know the power of the gospel, for those of us who do know Christ in us, the hope of glory, this last point is specifically for us. Be infectious disciples. Get out there and do the work that God has called us to do. We're called to be ambassadors of Christ, as if God is making his appeal through us. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And we're living in a world where it's challenging. I know, I get it. In fact, in the past three months, I I want you to think about how many conversations have you had? Oh, I've had so many about masks, about viruses. About outbreaks, about death rates, about protests and transmission rates and conspiracy theories and how foolish this or that government official is and how awful the left and right are and how broken our political system is and and how bad our economy is or how good our economy is or or schools and whether they should be open or whether they should be closed. And should they play sports or shouldn't they be playing sports? About social distancing and socialism and Marxism. I've had all sorts of conversations about that. But now think. How many conversations have you had about Christ in you, the hope of glory? We're the church. We're the only vehicle that has the hope that can can change someone's eternal destination because it's the power of Jesus in us. And we're spending all of our time talking about everything else that doesn't matter. I put myself at the top of that list. So I have a challenge for us this week. I... I want you to think about a friend, a family member, a neighbor, a cashier at a store or a gas station that you know you've had a conversation with about one of those other things. I challenge you, reach out to them this week. Try to have a time with them where you can talk to them about Christ and you, the hope of glory. Help them to see that there's something more important than those conversations. Not that we shouldn't talk about that, but there's something so much better that we have to offer them than a conversation about those things. Or maybe, because we do it for the saved and the unsaved. Think about a believer in your life that you can see from afar is struggling. They just seem to be really having a hard time. And you can pull them aside and have a conversation with them and encourage them about, you know, this is what Christ in you, the hope of glory really means. And and you can have a hope and you don't have to be discouraged. and, And you can build them up. And you can be a friend that may have to warn them and give them a wound, but it can be trusted. Who can you have that kind of impact on this week, helping them to mature in Christ? Or maybe you're here this morning and you're just, you're the one that's struggling. Look around you. I I guarantee there are people in this room that would love to come and to talk to you and encourage you. Get that help that you need. Because guys, I want to tell you that there is nothing more beautiful than Christ in you, the hope of glory. And and my desire is for my life, for our church, for God's kingdom, to continue to grow and to expand as we share that message of good news and hope that is so much better than anything the world could ever offer. Let's pray together. Father, we confess to you that we are not always bold in sharing the good news. We're not always faithful in proclaiming him and teaching and warning others. Oh, but Father, we desire as your children to truly honor and glorify you in these areas. Father, I pray that you challenge us in these areas of discipleship. Oh, that we would be able to boldly proclaim the hope of Jesus. Jesus. We thank you for that hope. And we pray, Lord, that you would be honored and glorified as we live that hope out daily to those who need to hear it most. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.